be able to sit with it, to explore it, and to release it. So we're completing the trauma cycle. Yes, we are. <laughs> I panic when that happens. You're so good at this. I don't know. I'm not good at this piece. Make sure you shake it out. I'm Stephanie Dinsmore. And I'm Jody Lockie Doosling. We're two therapists with 33 years of collective experience in the mental health field. Tune in as we get comfortable to talk about things like self-improvement, growth, relationships, traumatic experiences, and more. Together, we'll discuss neuroscience, attachment, and trauma, and look at holistic and alternative approaches beyond the counseling space. Let's just talk about it. Where did that just get pulled from? I have no idea. (laughs) Amen. Welcome back, ball jugglers. Today, we're going to be talking about somatic experiencing and somatic therapy. And don't worry, we're going to define what it is and how we do it. So somatic is derived from a Greek word, soma. And what that means is the living body. So in somatic therapy, the physical body is seen as a tool, as a guideline, and almost as a road to understanding and listening and learning about what we need to heal. And when we do somatic experiencing or somatic counseling, this is also known as somatic experiencing therapy. And it's a type of therapy that helps treat that post-traumatic stress, past trauma, and effects from other mental health conditions. So this type of therapy connects a person's mind and body to apply psychotherapy and physical therapies during treatment. So Jody, what would some of those physical treatments in psychotherapy look like? Yeah, so release exercises. And so things like getting your body to mobilize and to be able to move again. So when we have experienced things like trauma, we become so disconnected and disembodied and things get stored in really odd places. So we get we get different associations, different things stored. And almost, Steph, I wonder if talking about animals is the best way to start with with trauma. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I love the exercise that you're probably familiar with and use with your clients called the orienting exercise. And so this exercise is something that animals do all the time and actually every seven seconds, which surprised me when I learned it. But the reason is uh, animals are constantly checking their surroundings for safety. So what that means is they're moving their head and their neck to look around them and making sure that they're safe in their surroundings. So this is an exercise I do with almost all of my clients, we utilize it in the space that they're most often in. So for example, if someone is experiencing the anxiety, that disembodied feeling while they're at work, then we're talking about how they can practice the orienting exercise, like in their cubicle or in their office. Knowing where their exits are is so important to feel embodied and feel safe. I love that idea, Steph, too. And honestly, when animals are orienting, they're not from a place of hypervigilance. Yeah, they're not reacting. Yeah, they're not reacting. It's it's a place of being able to be prepared, planned, understanding what's going on in their setting, where when humans get hypervigilant, especially if we've experienced any sort of trauma or life-altering kind of events, um, you know, our amygdala alerts us that we are in danger. And the problem is that sometimes this doesn't actually shut off. So it thinks that we are still in danger. Hey Jody, this is super weird, but why do zebras not get ulcers? 
I love this. This is from Peter Sapolsky. So he talks about how animals in the wild actually complete their trauma cycles. So I'm going to give you an example. If a zebra is, you know, roaming around, he's minding his own business, he's orienting to his space, mm-hmm. and this lion comes over and starts attacking him, and something spooks this lion off. So this lion is able to run away, and the zebra's actually okay. So he's been attacked. He's, you know, he's has trauma, but he's okay physically. And so if you actually look at that zebra, he will get up and he will actually shake his whole body out. It's a remarkable thing that you can see. uh, All animals do it. Humans are the only ones that actually don't do this. And so what happens is he was activated when he saw the lion coming. He mobilized when the lion came, and that actually created immobilization, so where he played dead, laid still, because in his mind, the way to survive that was to stay still, was to freeze. And something scared the lion off, and so after, he completes his trauma cycle by physically shaking it out of his body. And so literally, if we don't do that, our nervous system actually locks and these things get stuck in our body literally and figuratively. So what are some ways humans can actually complete their trauma cycle? Great question. So that's where somatic work comes in, that we have to work with these areas to be able to fuse, to connect, to embody back to our brain, body, and soul. And by doing this, we do things like EMDR, where we can actually process from afar some of the experiences we've had with trauma and be able to complete that trauma cycle through reparenting, through self-love, through the ability to actually physically shake it and release it. Release can be through high interval training. It can be through movement. It can be through chanting, humming, singing. There's all sorts of ways that we can release things that are stuck in our body. And most recently, I did the stress release one uh, with the embodied lab. And that is an actual tool that allows you to complete the trauma cycle so that this stuff is not getting stuck in your psyche and locked in there for years, if not decades, if not whole lifetimes. I love that you mentioned the Embody Lab. So this is a um, space where we learn additional psychoeducation as therapists and providers, but not to say that you couldn't do a training on the Embody Lab either. I'm actually working on mine right now for somatic experiencing. I really encourage you to check it out. Yeah, and I thought, Steph, we'd bring, uh, again, Gabber Mate back into the scenario. So if you don't know who he is, he is a physician who works in downtown Vancouver at the safe injection sites, working with the most vulnerable population, uh, people that have experienced, you know, incredible amounts of trauma. And he's there walking alongside them, uh, you know, offering care and support. And he talks about how trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And if you want to learn more about the quote that Jody just shared, we'd really encourage you to read The Body Keeps the Score, The Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Basil van der Kolk. And I have a quote from the book that really resonates with what we're talking about today. Long after a traumatic experience is over, it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize disturbed brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones. This precipitates unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, and impulsive and aggressive actions. These post-traumatic reactions feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. Feeling out of control, survivors of trauma often begin to fear that they are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. 
I can't tell you how many times I have clients say I'm broken. Mm -hmm. I am so broken. And I look at them and I say, you are not broken. Things that have happened to you, it is not what is wrong with you. And so many times we have to change the way we say that. And I'm guilty of this. I say it all the time. What is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Why does this happen to me? But it is not what is wrong with me. It is what has happened in my life. And even for myself, part of my own mindfulness practice is really catching myself in those moments when I'm saying, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I deal with this? There must be, you know, something wrong to my core. And no, it's what happened to me and how my body is holding trauma and I'm having difficulty sitting with it, getting embodied and then being able to cope. And Steph, some of this stuff happens in utero, literally before we're even in this world. Like that's how difficult this stuff is, is that it can be trapped in us before we even have memory or understanding or even verbalization. So a lot of this stuff happens before we actually can even verbalize it. And so therefore, we don't even know how it impacts us now. Gaber Mate is actually very interesting. He grew up in Hungary and there was a war during the time that he was a baby. And his mom, as you can imagine, could not handle being a new mom and handling the war. And so he, she actually gave him up. She actually gave him to someone and he was under uh, under a year old. And so he says, it's not the trauma of her giving me up because really that was her capacity at the time, right? We can understand that. The trauma came from the fact that, you know, what happened to his body as a result of that. So when you are taken away from a primary attachment or when you are taken away from attunement and as a young child, as a baby, what does this do to our psyche? We get locked in that trauma, right? Where, you know, throughout his life, he played the internal dialogue over and over again of, I must be unlovable. I must be broken. I must not be deserving of love. And I can't tell you how many clients say these words to me. Well, and you said the word locked, but also lost, lost within their psyche, lost within their body, not being able to process and even understand what's happening to them as they age, as they become adults. And the struggle just continues. And unless they find providers, whether that's physicians or psychotherapists that work from this bottom-up approach that do somatic experiencing, it's very difficult to recover from this type of trauma. I love that you said the word lost because you're so right. I almost envision this kind of space that happens and then there's all of these different pieces, but none of it makes sense and it doesn't get stored in ways that are linear. So therefore, if you're going to a counselor to talk about your trauma, there is no linear process of talking about that. Things get stored, different emotions get stored in weird places, different thoughts, different pains, different body sensations. And so, you know, when you when I do EMDR with a client, I don't start back from the first trauma they can remember. I spontaneously say, what organically is coming up for you right now? Let's sit with that. What other events are related to that? And what you find out is there's a long list of things. You know, it wasn't just Gabber Mate's mom who gave him up. It was, you know, the foster care family that then gave him up. It was his partner that left him when he was 16. It was his friend who moved away when he was 18. I mean, I'm making these things up. These aren't real scenarios. But the point is, is that this gets locked and, and lost and disorganized. And so we want to fuse these things back together so that healing can actually take place. Yeah, those fragmented memories through things like EMDR, which again is that eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, because I'm sure some of you are like, what is EMDR? So it's through those types of therapies that help to close those fragmented memories and make them complete. And then we're able to be in the present and not as reactive to our trauma. And so, Jody, I'm wondering if you can tell us, like, how can somatic therapy, how can that help someone who's working on recovering from their trauma? 
Yeah, absolutely. So really what it does is it in a gentle way actually allows you to process, to open up from a safe place. So you're not actually reliving the trauma. You're not retelling the trauma. You're actually almost imagining as if you're on a train kind of just going by and you're just noticing it. You're observing from afar. You're not actually physically in it. We don't want to place our clients back into the trauma. We don't need to re-traumatize them again. So what we do is we work with different different patterns, different schemas, different areas of their body that are stuck. So different things that pop up for them could be certain sensations or pain that they have. And then we target that area by breathing into that pain, by releasing that pain, by exploring that pain, all of the connections that are related to that, all of the associations related to that. And then we try to desensitize that that memory, that feeling, that sensation um, by allowing them to be able to sit with it, to explore it, and to release it. So we're completing the trauma cycle. So Steph, why do we care? Why can't we just distract the rest of our life and just you know move on? And I hear this a lot when people are trying to avoid, they say they might be coping, but really what they're doing is avoidance. But it's that traumatized people chronically feel unsafe inside their bodies. So again, that disembodiment, we're moving away from being embodied, which is what we want. Where the past is alive and it's uh, that form of interior discomfort and bodies are constantly bombarded by those visceral warning signs and an attempt to control this process. They are becoming expert at ignoring their gut feelings. I can't tell you how many times I ask clients like what does your gut say and they're like what do you mean and I'm like well what does your gut say what do you notice how are you feeling what's coming up for you and most clients that I'm working with that are trauma clients they don't know how their gut feels or what that response should be because oftentimes in childhood they stopped listening to their gut or they were told not to listen to their gut And so not listening to our gut is actually we're experiencing invalidation. So we're not listening to our gut. We're feeling invalidated. And over time, what that does is we stop listening and we don't know how to make decisions. I can't tell you how many times my clients have said, I don't know if I should stay in this relationship or leave. Like, I don't know if I love my partner. And it's because they don't know what their gut's saying. They can't connect their gut to their heart, to their mind, that mind-body-soul connection, which we talked about in our last series. And again, it's that invalidation of them saying, well, well, I don't even know myself, let alone what I should do in this situation. We actually all have the answers to a lot of the work that we do as somatic trauma therapists is getting people to be in touch with their intuition, to trust themselves again. They actually have all of the answers. They know all of this. They just don't know that they know all of that because it's been invalidated out of them. And one of the main goals of the somatic experiencing therapy that we're talking about is to develop that body and mind connection and increase your ability to regulate your emotions. And this can help you manage some of the most distressing symptoms that you're experiencing. I thought, Steph, that we would go back to Gabor and talk about kind of his scenario in a model that would make sense. So when we think of internal family systems, which we were, we chatted about a few series ago, you know, we talked about exiles and these are those vulnerable parts of us. And so if I was Gabor Mate, a vulnerable part of me would be abandonment, right? The fear of rejection, the feeling of not being loved and that sort of thing. The manager that he put into place that he actually speaks about quite often is people-pleasing and overworking. And he gains acceptance and love and connection through those things, or at least he thinks he does, right? That feels that way. 
The firefighter that gets put into place for a lot of people is numbing, dissociating, or trying to protect yourself from the exile being exposed, from those vulnerabilities being exposed because they're so painful. And so, you know, the the impact of not doing this work is that we put in a lot of managers and a lot of firefighters in place that are typically not that healthy and that don't honor our soul or our experiences of which we've been through. And I know there's going to be some listeners out there being like, what is IFS? I didn't have a chance to listen to your last episode. And what we're talking about is internal family systems. So this is a therapy that we use, again, from that bottom-up approach to help work through those traumatic memories. So Jody, I know that we talked about how we actually can't talk our way out of trauma because of what happens in the body. So can you tell us a little bit about the scorecard? Yeah, so essentially our body carries a score sheet. And this score sheet is a number of things that have happened to us over our life. It could even be like in grade two when you weren't invited to a birthday party, which seems so minuscule now, but you have no idea how that was lodged or stuck in your body at the time. And so validating your experiences as they happen are super important. But counselors can actually work on, you know, in a gentle way, looking at how has your body kept score, as Bessel says. What is that score? card of experiences because we can't always talk our way out of things. Sometimes we have to look at, you know, what are the symptoms of the trauma happening? It's not just suffering in our brain. It is suffering in the way that we sit, the way we breathe, the way we move, the way we talk to people, the way we interact with ourselves, our digestion, our hygiene, and all sorts of other things, including the way we release and the way we move. Many people that have experienced trauma, you know, are one of two ways. They're too alert or too numb. And so if you find yourself very hypervigilant, always wondering about what's going on around you, noticing subtle changes, subtle things, you know, and you can sense that extra energy in your body, then, you know, doing things like high interval training and polyvagal, which we'll get into, or different areas can help with that. If you're someone who your trauma has made you dissociated, numb, disconnected, or almost like you can't move, like you just can't lift your leg. You know, that's when we look at the scorecard of experiences that you've had. Perhaps you had a parent that was always full of rage. So what you learned was to suppress everything, to stuff it down, to, you know, internalize things. And as a result, you were so attuned to people's responses and people's subtle tones that you try to people please, even when it's not fair to you and your experience. Even just listening to you share these things, I'm like, wow, that was definitely my childhood experience of, you know, experiencing the rage and stuffing things down even to this day. And I have to catch myself to say, no, I am listening to my gut. I am listening to what thoughts are coming up, what's happening in my body, and I am taking action. And I think this is where having a counselor help you or your friend or whomever can do this kind of work with you. But typically a counselor, they can actually look at where are those stuck points? What are those internal dialogues? What's that tape that keeps playing in your brain over and over again about your worth, what you deserve, and your own healing? And I find, too, when some clients can't answer those questions, I just kind of ask them in in a way that's externalized. Like, what would your friend say about you? What would your mom say about you? What would your cousin say about you? As a way to get them thinking about, like, how do I present and who am I around other people? Because that can also help to start answering some of those questions Jody was just sharing. (laughs) 
And so Jody, I wanted to kind of end our conversation around somatic experiencing because I bet you people are wondering, can I practice somatic experiencing on myself? The answer is eventually you can, but safely at first, you have to do a few phases that can kind of take some work with a professional. And what this phase looks like is safety and containment. So are we able to, you know, um, resource a safe place for ourselves while we're navigating some of these really difficult and stuck points? And are we able to contain it after we're done processing? So we don't want flooding, which is the increase or intensity of emotions coming out after a session. So we always want to be able to contain. So that's what I get worried about when people are raw and vulnerable without a safe place to be able to process that, you know, eventually you might get to the point that you can do things like, you know, EFT or tapping on yourself while processing. But when you're first starting, you really need someone who can help kind of gently guide you through this process and make sure that you're safe while you're doing it. And I think having that professional sitting with the client while they're going through this experience, while we're putting together and closing those fragmented memories is so, so important. So Jody, I know when we start counseling from that trauma-informed lens, we actually do a trauma-informed intake. Can you tell our listeners what that includes? Absolutely. So every time I see a client, I always want to measure things like attachment and attunement. This tells me a lot about the client. It tells me about their early childhood experiences. It tells me about their development in their formative years. It tells me about different factors that might play a role. So things like, you know, maybe it didn't happen to you, but what if your mom had trauma when you were seven years old and your mom can't come out of her room for three weeks because she is, you know, living in her own grief and her own pain? What does that do to the child at that point? The other thing that we look for is attachment and attunement to your primary caregiver. So what that means is when you were a baby and you cried, how did your caregiver respond? So if they responded in a timely manner and in a safe way, you know, most of the time, because I know it's hard to be new parents, but if you respond to your child's needs, they learn very quickly that they have a secure environment. So their secure attachment is a whole different playing field than someone who has not had a a secure attachment where their foundation or their base is not safe for them. So if every time that baby cries, a parent doesn't come, they learn after a few times that I don't have to cry anyway because nobody's going to help me. This stays with them their whole lives. So attachment, attunement. The other thing I look at is adverse childhood experiences. So what, you know, grief, loss, transition, change. It could be the death of an animal. It could be moving schools. It could be a divorce of your in your parents. It could be a number of areas. Um, perhaps you've lost somebody or something. You know, all of these areas need to be looked at in our formative years. It doesn't mean that that is forever for you. Of course, we can shift, we can grow, we can change, we can heal. But it does mean that we may have to look back at some inner child work, some reparenting, some creative healing, and then really tackling some of those attachment styles because those attachment styles still play a very active role in our relationship with others and ourselves. And I know we're not going to dive too much into it today because we're going to do another mini series that includes our discussion on attachment and attunement. But I think that's so helpful just to get us thinking about how do some of the those components affect people. Absolutely. 
and we're excited to share with you we do have a bonus episode coming at the end of season one where Jody and I will be interviewing two members of our book club on The Body Keeps the Score. So you're going to hear from therapists off the clock, but also two guest members. So two ways that you can engage with this book, The Body Keeps the Score, is by actually reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And the other one is by reviewing the video. It's a six-minute clip about how we carry our body, what that looks like, and it gives us indication to where we store our own trauma. We will put a link to that video in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ball Jugglers. This has been a fantastic episode talking about somatic experiencing. And remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star review and screenshotting this and sharing it with your friends. See you next time.